This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. On August 19th, uh, Northeast High School was playing West Creek High School in football. And that evening there were some gunshots in the, in the area. And this was a scene that was captured by a photograph that you'll see on the screen. And uh, almost immediately when it happened, like social media was a buzz all, all over town. And it didn't matter where you were, if you pulled up Facebook or what, you know, whatever, you, you, know, you saw something coming in, you know, kids were snapping it. It was, you know, it, everybody knew about it in a matter of, of, of minutes. A couple of weeks later, there were fights at Rossview High School during the day. And uh, the news about those fights spread pretty rapidly. And then that night at the Northeast Clarksville High football game, um, there was a, an enhanced uh, police presence. Thank God for our police. Amen. Right. Um, there was an enhanced uh, police presence uh, at the game. But that night as I was sitting at the game, watching the game, I pulled up on Facebook, kind of trying to like, see if I could find like, what happened because Facebook's a great place to find good news, right? What I found were, you know, moms and dads posting messages, kind of bearing their heart about what was going on. And what I didn't see a lot of was like rock solid, Jesus trusting, bedrock peace. That's, I mean, it's probably not a surprise, right? Like what I saw was like anxiety and fear and, um, and I think that's probably what most of us felt. So I'm titling this morning's message in the book of Ephesians, Peace in a World Gone Mad. And, you know, there could be like a question mark at the end of that title. Peace in a World Gone Mad. Like, is it possible? Is it, is it possible when you have the shootings and the fights? And you, is it possible to have peace for you and me to actually experience peace is that possible or it could be an exclamation point at the end of that title peace in a world's gone mad so I want you to look at this with me in Ephesians we're kicking off this letter I've never preached through the book of Ephesians I'm so fired up about this we're, we're just gonna open up with the first two verses this morning and it's just an intro what's really interesting is, is the majority of the New Testament letters uh, were written because of a specific occasion. So you take the church at Corinth in the letter, the letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul had been interacting with the church. They had been asking questions back and forth. Um, but Paul was writing to address some very specific issues in the church at Corinth. They were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Uh, there was uh, sexual immorality going on inside the church. And there was big time disunity in the church. So he wrote his letter to the church at Corinth to specifically address some of those specific issues. Likewise, if you look at other New Testament letters, what you see is Paul wrote for a specific occasion, sometimes to correct, um, to correct doctrine and false teaching. Uh, but the book of Ephesians that we're going to be studying together over the next several weeks together, the book of Ephesians is kind of a general letter. It's kind of like a general health letter. And the intention was is for the letter uh, to be distributed um, around the churches in Ephesus. And so Ephesus 
If you're curious where that is, that's like modern day Turkey. So if you pull up your map and you find Turkey, then what, what we can understand is that Paul wrote this letter while in Rome around 62 AD, uh, attached to a, a, a jailer, and, but his heart was for the churches. So he writes this letter for the purpose of building up the church. He wrote this letter for the purpose of, of seeing the church grow. And it's not a letter to correct anything that was gone bad. It was rather just a, a general letter to be passed around to the churches so that the church could grow in health, and so the church could mature. What's interesting about um, this letter and the, most of the New Testament letters and most of the letters that would have been written in that day, whether it was a Christian letter or not, um, they, they, they usually started with the person's name that was writing it. Now, why is that? Most of you don't start an email with your name. You start it with the individual's name. Um, well, it's because things were written on scrolls. And so as they would unroll a scroll, they wanted folks to know who wrote this before they unrolled the whole scroll, you see? So it's like right at the, right at the outset, they wanted to unroll the scroll, and the first thing they wanted them to understand is who wrote the letter. And so that's what we see in chapter 1, verse 1. Look at it with me. The first word... Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who were in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read it together again and then pray. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray, speak to us now through your sacred scriptures. Lord, would you speak personally and powerfully to every heart in the room, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing that jumps out at me in these two verses is Paul Paul wanted to keep it Jesus. Did you see that? Um, our mantra here at Real Life is keep it real, keep it, thank you. Look at this with me. It's like he can't get out two sentences without saying Jesus. And it's like he wanted them to know, I'm about Jesus, you're about Jesus, this letter is about Jesus. That's what we want you to know today about Real Life. Real Life is about Jesus. Four years ago when we launched, our, Jesus was our banner. Today, Jesus is our banner. Tomorrow, Jesus is going to be our banner. If you want something, if you want a different banner, you won't find it here. All right? And when you think that the preacher might be holding up another banner other than Jesus, you tell the preacher, hey, give us some more Jesus. Because we're devoted to keeping it Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. In verse 2, grace to you and peace from God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He was keeping it Jesus, wasn't he? I want to answer just a few questions about this greeting of the letter to Ephesians. First, who is Paul? What is an apostle? Why does he call them saints? And what is available to us? So first, who is Paul? Would you turn in your Bibles over to Acts chapter 9? Acts chapter 9, it's a thrilling history of the birth of the church. Luke writes in Acts, uh, the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 9, we see uh, Saul encounter Jesus. Now, if you've been around church for a long time, which... Um, if you haven't been, you're at the right place, okay? You don't have to have any questions answered to be here, okay? You don't have to have any, any background Bible knowledge to be here, okay? So you just come with your questions, and we believe you're going to encounter the presence of Jesus and his love 
and it's going to be good for you, okay? But if you did grow up in church, or if you've been reading the Bible a long time, or if you've been teaching the Bible, or anything like that, then you've probably heard that Saul encountered Jesus, and when he encountered Jesus, God changed his name to Paul. And there was something significant about God changing Saul's name to Paul. And when you dig into the, the meanings of those words, you see, oh, wow, you know, this is really something special. His name was Saul, and it meant this, and now his name is Paul, and it means this. Um, and that sounds good, and that preaches good, and that teaches good. It's just not the case. So, so Saul's name was Paul. He had like a double name, and his name didn't change when he encountered Jesus. Uh, Saul is listed in the scripture as Saul at least 11 times after he encountered Jesus. So it's not like he encountered Jesus and he changed his name to Paul, even though most of us have probably taught that somewhere along the way and it sounds really good. It preaches good, it's just not Bible. You want the preacher to give you Bible this morning, right? Say, give me Bible, preacher. All right, that's what I'm gonna do. Um, My aunt, uh, who smoked at least a pack of cigarettes a day, uh, used to call me Tom, but she would say it like, Tom, because she smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. Uh, my name is Freddie T, but she called me Tom, okay? So, like, my name wasn't changing. I just went by two names, and Saul would have also gone by Paul. Got it? Got it. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Look at this with me again. Understand what's going on in this man's life. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus So that if he found any belonging to the way, that was the Christian way, the way of Jesus. That's what they described as the movement of Jesus, the way. If he found any any of them, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now this is really interesting here, and God has something for some of you here this morning. Just in this phrase, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because Saul was persecuting the church. He wasn't persecuting Jesus. So why does Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's because Jesus intimately identifies with his church. Listen, we've got enough people in this room this morning that some of you, you're bitter toward the church because of how they let you down how they treated you, how they dropped the ball when they should have been caring for you. Somebody here this morning, you're skeptical about what's going on here because the last two churches you've tried, they really let you down. They didn't act like they should have acted. They didn't do what they should have done. And you come in here kind of like, mm, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But, but understand this morning that Jesus calls the church warts, shortcomings, failures, and all. Jesus calls the church his bride. And if you insult my bride in my presence, it probably won't go well. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Or if I insulted your bride in your presence, it's probably not going to go well. But somehow, so many of us, we've been hurt by the church or let down by the church. so, So bitterness has grown in our hearts toward the church. But the church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians says it this way. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Should we do any less? 
Should we, do, should we do any less? It's interesting. Jesus so closely identified with his church that when Paul, Saul, was persecuting Christians, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Me. You persecute them, you persecute me because I got their back. They're my body on this earth. They're my bride, my church. For some of you this morning, God just wants to heal that pain. He just wants to heal your church hurt and he wants to restore a joy to you and a faith in Jesus' bride and he wants you to roll up your sleeves and commit to the church like you've never committed before because the church is God's plan A to see the gospel spread around the world and to display his glory here. It's the bride of Christ. So whatever you came into this morning holding on to, the church didn't do this or they did this or they hurt me here or they let me down here, guess what? It's going to keep happening. And the church is going to continue to be the beautiful bride of Christ because we're covered by the righteousness of Jesus. We're not beautiful because of our own merit. We're beautiful because Jesus has set his affection and his love upon his church. He has adopted us. He's he's claimed us as his own. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus said. Look at verse 5. And he said, who are you, Lord? (laughs) Like, so it just makes me wonder, like, what did the voice of the Lord sound like when he said, Saul, Saul? Because it must have it come with a thunderous rumble because the glory of the Lord was displayed in such a way that Saul said, Who are you, Lord? Can you imagine the moment? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Isn't it interesting that Jesus just assumed the authority to tell Paul exactly what to do? Have you given him authority like that in your life? Have you given the Lord Jesus the authority in your life so that he can tell you exactly what he wants you to do? That's what it means to have Jesus as your Lord. Read on verse 7. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Translation, this encounter with Jesus blinded him. Look at the rest of the verse. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This was a powerful encounter with the Lord Jesus. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay, lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. I mean, that sounds like the most reasonable response. Ananias. Lord, he's killing Christians. He's persecuting Christians. Everybody knows about Saul. I don't want to have anything to do with this, Lord. But the Lord said to him, verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will... Isn't that interesting? Like, like the, Lord, the Lord chose Saul. I mean, didn't he have, like, somebody better to choose? (laughs) Like, wasn't there somebody, like, like already on the team, you know, that he could have chose to do his best work? 
Why did he choose like the bottom of the barrel? The guy that was persecuting and killing Christians. He chose Saul in part so that the world would see the radical transformation of an evil man. That Jesus can change anything in anybody's life. When they see this guy that was killing Christians, now we're going to see he's boldly preaching the gospel. Jaws drop. Let's read on. Let's see. We'll see it together. Look at this. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Listen, if God is going to use, use you mightily, it requires that we suffer for him. Amen. Can I just tell you, I, I hate that personally. But the Lord is good. Amen. He's worthy. And on the pain that nobody else knows about, he will comfort you. In Romans 8, he says, the glory to be revealed will not compare to the sufferings of this world. So the suffering that's required to follow and serve Jesus will be a blip on the radar when Jesus comes again. And we will all declare with great joy and enthusiasm and no regret, it was worth it to suffer for Jesus. It was a privilege to suffer for Jesus. It didn't ruin my life. It gave my life honor to identify with the sufferings of Jesus. Read on. Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, can you imagine how his voice must have been trembling? Brother, 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 brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. What happened immediately after he encountered Jesus? He was baptized. You know, the apostle Paul says in, first, in, in Romans 1, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for all who believe. The New Testament knew nothing of a Christian that was not baptized. Some of you have been putting it off for years. Quit being ashamed of Jesus. Tell the world with joy that he saved you. Tell the world with joy that he loves you. The New Testament knew no such thing of a follower of Jesus that had not been baptized. Identify with him. Celebrate his grace in your life. Don't put it off another day. Don't put it off another day. We're going to baptize next week. I, I sat with a, a young man in his 20s this week going through premarital counseling. And Charles, this week at Golly G's, prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And he's got, he texted his community group. He says, I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to identify with Jesus. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. He saved me. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you came sent me so that you may regain your sight, filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, taking food, and he was strengthened. Read on with me. For some days he was with the disciples in Damascus and immediately he proclaimed to Jesus in the synagogues saying, He is the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? Like Paul encounters Jesus and immediately starts preaching. But like 10 minutes before, he's like killing Christians. What are you waiting on? 
See, some of you, you think, my life is just not up to standard to talk publicly about Jesus. Listen, if you've got a really messed up life, and you feel like you fall short in a hundred places, you are a beautiful trophy of his grace. We don't talk about Jesus after we get our life together. We talk about Jesus after he looks upon us in all of our messed upness and says, I love you. <laughs> so if you feel like, man, my life is not a good reflection of Jesus, that's okay. Say, Jesus loved me anyways, and tell somebody. We're all hypocrites to some degree, right? There's only one that's perfect. So when you fall short, let that be part of your testimony of how amazing God's grace is. Now listen, Paul said, look, just because God's grace is always there, should you sin all the more because God's grace is always there? He said, no, of course not. We want to obey God because we love him, but we fail so miserably. What I'm saying is, is don't let your failures keep you from sharing your testimony about how God has changed your life. And if you do, if you let your failures keep you from telling others about Jesus, then you're telling others about Jesus based on your own merit and based on your own obedience and based on your own good deeds. And that's messed up, right? We tell people about Jesus because he saved a wretch like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. So verse 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he's the son of God and all who heard him were amazed, I would say so, and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? Listen, they thought it was a trick. They did not believe that Saul, Paul, Tom, Freddie T, they did not believe that he had been changed. They thought it was a trick. The closest thing that I remember in my lifetime of this, when I was a kid, we had a big snowball fight. And my oldest sister was kind of bossy when we were kids, and everybody knew it. And so we were on the same, we were on the same snowball team, all right? And so we were going to try to trick the other team into thinking that she was, like, fed up with me. And she was going to, like, walk me over there and put me on their team because she was just done dealing with me, right? So she grabs me by the wrist, and she walks me over. He's on your team. I'm not dealing with him anymore, all right? But it was all a trick. (laughs) I wasn't going to be on their team. I was going to steal their snowballs and hit them with their own snowballs on their side, right? You see that? And that's the way it went down. But it was believable because my sister was kind of bossy back in the day, all right? But let it be said, not Christy, Diana, for those of you that know, all right? (laughs) They 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 thought it was a trick. They were like, we've heard of Paul. We've heard of Saul. There's no, there's no way he's preaching the gospel. Not him. Look at verse, look at verse uh, 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Wow, how quickly the tides had turned. Verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he, had, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were afraid of him. No kidding. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him 
and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Let me just pause and just, let me just say this. Listen, some of you are here this morning and you're not yet sure if you want to really follow Jesus. Like you're here and you're listening, but in your heart of hearts, you're not yet sure. And, and for some of you, you're like, man, I, nobody's going to take me seriously because they know what I did. They know who I've been. They know what I'm like. They know what my struggle is. And it'll just be totally unbelievable if I really try to get serious about following Jesus. That's exactly what happened in Paul's life. And it became so compelling as he was preaching the gospel that God has the power to change the hearts of men and women. So so this morning, some of you feel like nobody's going to believe me if I become passionate about Jesus. They didn't believe Paul, and that was okay. Some of you have friends, and you've already... Um, you, you, you've already given up on them. And in your mind and heart, you just think they will never come to Christ. They're just too far gone. Their arguments are too many. They're too smart for God. They've gone their own pathway for so long. They're just out of reach. Would you allow the story of Saul to change your thinking this morning that no one is too far gone for God? Nobody is too far gone for God. It doesn't matter what they've done, how long they've done it, what their story is. God can reach out and touch them with his love. God can change their hearts. In a second, he can change their hearts. Breathing threats, murderous threats against Christians. And in a moment, he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the power of God, friends. Don't give up on anybody. Don't give up on anybody. Look at verse 31. So the the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace it was being built up and walking in the fear of the lord and in the comfort of the holy spirit it multiplied would you turn back to ephesians 1 so who is paul well paul is saul and he was a wicked man and was radically changed by the grace and the presence of jesus and he became apostle so what is an apostle The apostles were those eyewitnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection that were chosen by God to have authority in the early church so that their preaching and teaching had authority to lay a foundation for the church. Those were the apostles. And Paul, when he met Jesus, was chosen to be an apostle. This is the doing of God. You didn't sign up after church. Hey, everybody that wants to be an apostle, come forward. The sovereign king of the universe chose them. And he gave them authority to say, when you teach and when you preach, it's going to lay a foundation for my plan to display my glory through my people, the church. That's an apostle. So why in this greeting does does Paul call the church saints? Look at verse 1 with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, then you're probably aware of some people that 
the, the Catholic Church would consider saints. And maybe uh, in the worship center sanctuary, there were stained glass windows of saints along the, the way. And, and you know, maybe you were taught to, to memorize who the, the saints were and the story behind how they became a saint. Well, usually saints became saints because of the great lives that they lived. In other words, they were so devoted to God. They were so amazing in the, in the eyes of other people that the church declared them to be saints. It was kind of like an award, a, a, kind of like a public award, you know. You know senior superlatives. You know, you guys know senior superlatives, like you know, like Mister NEHS, most likely to succeed, like all those things. On the podcast the other day, I said, you know, they made up a senior superlative for me. It's like most talkative. <laughs> Do you know people that are like lack self awareness? As a senior in high school, I was like, why did they? Why did they? Most talkative. What? You know, and everybody else is like, yeah, you don't know, right? That's kind of like what a saint was like. This person's so amazing, let's declare them to be a saint. But Paul was declaring that the whole church were, were saints. So where does he get off just declaring that they're saints? Well, saints means holy ones. So was the church just all living like really, really holy lives? Well, no. The, the church at Corinth, he, he declares them to be saints. And there's, there's like drunkenness and sexual immorality and disunity going on in that church. So where does he get off calling them saints? Listen, he's declaring to them who they are because of the work of Jesus in their life. Paul is telling them who they are. I had this great conversation with my daughter Lily the other day. She's, she's getting a little talk uh, together that she's going to give at FCA in her middle school. And um, she said, I think I'm going to talk about how our identity is not rooted in like getting uh, Instagram likes and, you know, that kind of thing. And I thought, that's a great idea. That's right. We don't get our identity in what other people say that we are. We don't get our identity in what we wear. And we don't get our identity in what we accomplish. You think about it. If you're the star basketball player and you're like going into the championship game and like you've already won the award for like player of the year. And you go into the championship game and you're leading the whole county in three-point three point shots. And you don't make a single basket. Is your identity just dissolved? What, if you're getting your identity in what you do, then yeah. But if you get your identity in who God says that, you're, says that you are, are, nothing can change your identity. Because the work of Jesus, you know what he cried out on the cross? It is finished. So many of us are trying to make a name for ourselves and Jesus said, it's done. If you'll trust me, it's done. You're trying to move up because if you get moved up, you got a new title and your new title in your job, that's your identity. Nope. Your identity is you're a friend of God. You're a child of God. You're a saint of God. You're the fragrance of Jesus. You're an ambassador of Jesus. That's our identity, friends. Listen, the Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans 12. He said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what do we renew our mind to? We renew our mind to the truth about who we are. This is who I am. Not how I feel today. Not what they say that I am today. Not what I accomplished and what I didn't accomplish. Listen, some of you had parents speaking lies over your life and you're battling to get out of those lies today. Listen to the Lord Jesus say, because of Jesus, not because of anything you did, but because of Jesus, you're a saint. You're a friend of God. You, just let that seep into your heart. But it's a fight every day. You've got to renew your mind to that truth because those lies are loud, aren't they? They're so loud. Listen, our identity has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with what we do, what we wear, 
where we live, what others say about us, what we accomplish, and it has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us and who he declares us to be. And just in this like little greeting, it's interesting because when you, when, when you, when you understand literature of this day, you would, you would understand that any letter had a greeting like this, whether it was a Christian letter or not. In the time immediately before Paul wrote, in the time that immediately after Paul wrote, they all had similar greetings. And they would kind of introduce themselves and they might say, let it be well with you. You know, something like that. Like, like a greeting. But Paul gets really creative in how, what he infuses into the greeting. And he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So it's beautiful because he says, this is who you are and that's the root and that root of who you are has produced a fruit. You're living a faithful life. Hallelujah. Um, it's a lot easier to live a faithful life for Jesus when you anchor deep into the reality of who you are in Jesus, who he says you are. Um, to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And then lastly, what is available to us? What's available to you and me today? Look at, what he, look at what Paul says in verse 2. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know one of my favorite things to do is to explain grace to people that have no clue what it means. I love sitting down with people and saying, do you know what grace means? <coughs> Excuse me. And so often, like, people just kind of bumble through a, an explanation of grace, and I think, oh, this is going to be so good. I'm going to get to explain to them what grace is. Grace is a gift that we don't deserve and we couldn't earn. Would you say that with me? Grace is a gift that we don't deserve and we couldn't earn. One more time, let's get it on our lips, and maybe it'll get into our hearts this morning. Grace is a gift that we don't deserve and we couldn't earn. So when we think about God giving us grace, God gives us a gift that we don't deserve and we couldn't earn. Namely, we deserve hell, condemnation, and judgment. And he gives us love and acceptance in heaven. We don't deserve it. But he gives it. Why? Because he's a gracious God. God loves to give gifts that people don't deserve and could never earn. So God in his love, he looks upon us in all of our sin and all of our brokenness, knowing that on our best day we fall short. And he says, I'm going to rescue you out of, your, out of your drowning in sin. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to set my love upon you. I'm going to give you the gift of my grace. I'm going to save you, bring you into a relationship with me. I'm going to set your identity as secure. I'm going to make your home heaven. That's grace. And what happens, listen, what happens is when you begin to get a glimpse of, I deserve hell, but God gave me heaven. I deserve alienation, but God gave me friendship. I deserve condemnation, but, but God gave me acceptance. God gave me love. God gave me mercy. When you, when you begin to get a glimpse of that, when that begins to take rest in your heart, that root produces a fruit. That's what we're talking about through this whole, through this whole letter. When God's grace begins to take root in your heart, the fruit, among other things, is peace. Is peace. You begin to understand that life is all about God, that he's holding it all in his hands, and that he's got your back on your worst day. He loves you. 
Not because anybody's twisting his arm, because, but, but because he loves to love you. He wants to be gracious to you. And anything else in your mind and heart that resists that truth is not of God. It's not of God. He loves you because he wants to love you. He's gracious to you because he wants to be gracious to you. This is the truth of, of God's love for us. Grace and peace. We live in a world gone mad, don't we? We live in a world gone mad. Um, some of you, you came in here this morning and your heart was just already anxious. Maybe, maybe being in a room with this many people, it just kind of weirds you out. You're sweating. You, you see about the violence going on in our schools and it just freaks you out. You don't sleep well at night. And Listen, our God, He wants to give us insight, spiritual insight. He wants to give us understanding of who He is and what He's doing in the world. In the, in the book of Ephesians, He wants us to take hold of biblical, spiritual truths and realities. And in taking hold of them, they'll bring about peace in our heart and life. When, when everybody and everything else in the world are freaking out, God's people can have peace because we know who He is and we know what He's doing and we know, we know how it's going to end. This is the peace that He gives. So do you need it? Do you need it? I just want to invite you to bow your head, close your eyes. So thankful for the presence of God here this morning. And church, I love you. And I just want to lead you this morning just in a time of response and reflection. If you're here this morning and, and you're like, man, I fear and anxiety have been ruling my life. And yes, I need this peace. Pastor, would you just pray for me? I need the peace of God to rule in my heart. Nobody's looking around, but church, I love you and I want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand high if you would say, fear and anxiety are riddling my heart? Lift it high. And as you lift your arm high, let it be an expression of your faith that God loves you and wants to touch your heart with peace. Father, I pray in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Just keep your hands lifted high. Father, I pray in Jesus' name and by your spirit that you would strengthen the inner man and the inner woman of all those that are saying, I need peace. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes as we study through the book of Ephesians, that you would open their eyes that they may behold wonderful truths, deep truths of the gospel, that it might take root in their heart and that peace may rule in their hearts. God, I pray that no matter what comes, you would give them the strength that's undergirded by your spirit and that they might be able to have peace no matter what comes. Lord, would you do it? Would you touch them? Lord, you touched Saul. You changed his life. Would you do it for my friends this morning? Right now in this moment, touch them by your, spirit, by your spirit and give them peace. When they wake in the morning, your word says your mercy is new every morning. Might they wake up with peace in their hearts, not riddled with anxiety and fear. Lord, might they seek you with all their heart and find you to be faithful and true. Touch them with your peace today. You can put your hands down on God's people set on that. Amen. As your heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I need more than peace. Like, I need the whole deal. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need heaven, and I don't have any of it. But today, I need to call on Him to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, I just want to give you a prayer to pray something like this silently in your heart. God, I need you. Say that to Him. God, I need you in your heart. I've made a mess of this life. I've done my own thing. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. Please forgive me. 
Thank you, Lord. If this morning for the first time in your journey, you called out to God to save you and forgive you, trusting in Jesus, would you just lift your hand? I just want to celebrate with you. Just lift your hand high if you're worshiping with us online. Just leave a comment. Anybody here this morning say, I need, I'm trusting in Jesus for the first time. Anybody? Church, would you just look up at me? How many of you have a friend that you wished was here this morning to hear about God's grace and peace? You got a coworker, somebody you just thought, oh, I wish they had been here. Would you text them right now? invite them to come with you next week. Would you do that right now? Just say, I'm sitting in church. I just heard a message that I so want you to hear. Would you come with me next week? Just take your phone out right now. Text them. Who is God bringing to your mind? Who needs to be here to hear about the hope of Jesus? Who needs to be here to hear about the grace of Jesus? Who needs to be here to, to hear? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Would you text them now? Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing out with all of our hearts. Amen, church. Father, we bless you. Father, we worship you. We praise you, King of kings, Lord of lords. Lord, we don't have language adequate enough to worship you the way you're worthy of. Lord, we, we love you, but not like we all. Lord, you are the star-creating God, the star-naming God, the universe-upholding God. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginner and the end. You have no rivals, Lord. Your strength is infinite. Your wisdom is perfect. Your love is unfailing. We're here for you today, oh God. Lord, for those of us that are drowning in fear or anxiety or brokenness, we believe in this moment you're lifting us up out of that pit. You're putting our feet upon a firm place. You're putting a new song in our mouth, a song to praise you, oh God. So Lord, would this worship be pleasing to you, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's sing out, church. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.